Hi, it's me, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, with a special episode of the TriDoc Podcast. As you're probably aware, this podcast comes out every two weeks, and just one week ago, episode 42 was out, including my interview with Farron Campbell on how to increase diversity in triathlon. My exploration of that subject will continue in episode 43 that is scheduled for release next week. But in the meantime, I wanted to share with you a special project that I recently started working on with my 14-year-old daughter, Samantha. Sam and I thought it would be fun to spend some time together watching classic horror movies, share our viewing experiences, and then discuss what made those films important to the genre. The result is our new podcast, Dead and Slaughter, the Dad and Daughter Horror Show. The podcast is available on all of the usual platforms, but you can hear the very first episode right here, right now. I hope that you'll give it a listen, and if you find it to your liking, leave a rating and a review, and of course, subscribe. The TriDoc Podcast will return next week with episode 43, but for now, please enjoy episode one of Dead and Slaughter, the Dad and Daughter Horror Show. <laughs> Hello and welcome. My name is Jeff Sankoff, also known as Dead. And that comes from Dad. And I'm Sam Sankoff, also known as Slaughter and also known as Daughter. And together, we're Dead and Slaughter, the Dad and Daughter Horror Show. So I'm sure you're wondering where we got this concept from. So why don't you tell us, Dad? I have always been a big fan of the podcast Reply All, which is hosted by a couple of guys in New York by the name of Alex and PJ. And during the pandemic lockdowns, Alex and PJ weren't able to do their usual podcast, and so they got around to doing something that they've talked about for quite a long time. You see, Alex is a big fan of horror films, while PJ, not so much. And like me, the reason for that is because he doesn't like the feelings that horror films give him. He doesn't like being anxious, he doesn't like being scared during and after the film, and he doesn't like those lingering feelings of fear. Well, they decided that together they would put together a podcast during the lockdown called The Scaredy Cat Horror Show, during which Alex would inure PJ to the ability to be able to watch horror films, Also, that eventually he would be able to watch the movie Get Out. Well, a lot like PJ... I don't like horror films, as I've said, and I also wanted to watch Get Out. And it turns out that Samantha kind of does like horror films. Yes, I like them until I have to go to sleep. <laughs> well, together we decided that maybe we could uh, try and emulate what Alex and PJ put together, but with a little bit of a twist. So what did we come up with here? So we decided that we wanted to watch horror films, but our criteria for watching the horror films were they had to be good films that just happened to be scary. That's right, because I've always been a big fan of films. I've uh, always sought out really good movies and uh, during college took a lot of interesting film classes that kind of opened my eyes to the art of filmmaking. And while I don't seek out horror films, I have on occasion stumbled across movies that were excellent films that just happened to be scary. Samantha, being a student very much of filmmaking as well, and someone who just happens to like horror films, well, I thought maybe we could share this together. Going back, finding those kinds of movies that signified important moments in filmmaking, maybe changed the genre of horror, maybe initiated some different sub-segment of horror, and together we are going to watch them, 
share our experiences of what it felt like to watch these movies and then kind of dissect them a little bit from a filmmaking perspective. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what are the kinds of movies that we chose? Like you said, we wanted to choose some classics such as Psycho, The Shining, some very classic horror movies, as well as some more recent ones such as The Ring and ones that use more CGI. Um, And so we didn't want to just have to watch films that were purely jump scares or cheap thrills, as you would put it. We wanted to watch something that was a deeper level of horror, um, something that really scared us down to our core. Right. I think it's the idea of psychological fear as opposed to that, you know, coming out of the dark boo kind of fear. Exactly. And in future episodes, we may have guests. Uh, We're certainly going to talk about something that Sam and I have discussed over the past, which are sort of the five or six things that seem to be the root of fear and that come up over and over again in movies. But for today, we're going to begin with one of the real original classics of the horror genre in the modern age, and that would be... Psycho. Psycho. Alfred Hitchcock's film from 1960. And why is it such an important movie to discuss? Do you know, Sam? This movie was a classic, and it actually changed the horror genre completely. It was one of the first um, movies of the slasher genre for the time, and just completely changed the face of horror. Right. And Alfred Hitchcock, a very respected director who previously had made big budget films that were mostly murder mysteries, uh, but never violent uh, to this extent and certainly never showed the amount of gore. And again, you know, relative to what you see on screen today, the amount of gore in Psycho is really almost almost laughable, right? Mm -hmm. Still, uh, the psychological fear is real. So before we actually talk about uh, our experience watching the movie, we should probably give a little bit of a synopsis. Uh, Do you want to try on that? Basically, the film starts out um, with our main character, Marion Crane, Crane, who um, works for a very wealthy man and steals $40,000, which around today's standards is about $350,000. That's correct. Um, And so she goes on the run and she wants to go live with her boyfriend, Sam. Um, And because she is a horrible liar and she's having a lot of difficulty driving all the way to where Sam lives, she stumbles upon a motel. And And it's worth noting that she's uh, making this drive and has a couple of episodes where she's pulled over by a policeman and she just is overwrought with guilt. Yes. And just can't, and and even though the policeman has no reason to suspect anything, the way she behaves, you know, betrays the fact that... extremely suspicious. Right. So she's very close to where the boyfriend lives, but because of a terrible rainstorm in which she's driving, she stumbles across, as you mentioned, this, this hotel. Seeing as it is a rainstorm, storm um she realizes that she can't go get food so he decides to invite her to have dinner with him after checking in at the hotel and it's during that little dinner where marion is talking to norman that uh it becomes apparent that things are not okay with Norman Bates. Uh, Abundantly clear. Right, because they're sitting in this room that's full of uh, stuffed birds, uh, and uh, Norman and Marion start talking a little bit about Norman's past, and the way Norman behaves and the things that he has to say uh, make it clear that uh, n- not all is right with Norman. Is your time so empty? No. 
Well, I, I run the office and uh, tend the cabins and grounds and, and do little uh, errands for my mother, the one she allows I might be capable of doing. Do you go out with friends? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. After that awkward dinner, um, Marianne returns to her room and she has a shower and then she is murdered by what appears to be Norman's mother in a very legendary scene that has been imitated in many other horror movies. Right. And the scene for the time was violent and, and gory. graphic beyond anything that had ever been seen to that point. Yes. Norman then discovers what has been done and very dispassionately disposes of Marianne's body. And um, Marianne's sister, days later, becomes frantic because she has not been able to find Marianne, locates Marianne's boyfriend in the town that was only 10 miles away from the motel. Uh, And then she and Sam and a um, private private detective who had been put on the case by the man whose money had been stolen by Marianne all end up converging on the Bates Motel and further mayhem ensue as first the private detective is murdered and soon thereafter attempts are made on uh, Marianne's sister. But that is foiled by uh, the boyfriend of Marianne. Yes, by Sam. And we learn at that point that... That Norman's mother is dead. Long dead. Long dead, as was previously said. And that Norman Bates has multiple personality disorder, where he pretends to be his mother. Right. And uh, the movie is... uh, has a fairly slow pace, as was you know typical for 1960s. Uh, there is um, a lot going on, sort of in the actions of people, and the dialogue is more cumbersome than what you would experience in movies from today. But still, it uh, it has a lot of building suspense and dread, and so I'm very interested, Sam. Uh, what was your experience in watching this movie? I began one once we started watching the movie. I was very not con- I was very unconvinced that this was a horror movie. I was I I was just very unimpressed <laughs> to be completely honest. I was not expecting it to be as slow-paced as it was. So because it began with nothing suspicious at all until she reached the motel and she met uh Norman. Um and then it became a little bit more suspicious, but really they they really use dramatic irony a lot in the movie where you know something that the main character or that one of the characters doesn't. And therefore it it's really frustrating because you can't like, you can't talk to the characters. Obviously you can't say something's happening. So it was very different from other horror movies I've seen, but it still really stuck with me the way that Norman was so creepy and that he kept his, the his mother's corpse in his cellar that really stuck with me yeah um no doubt i mean this is a classic film not only because of its age but also because of it you know the way it changed movie making changed movies for everything that came after it but because you're now coming to movies 
60 years later, uh, you don't appreciate, I think, that, you know, movies back then required a lot of effort from the viewer. You know, yeah. viewers really had to pay attention. Uh, viewers had to really uh, spend a lot more time thinking about the plot and thinking about everything that was being said and done. And that's really clear in this film. Uh, there's a lot of lingering camera shots where, you know, the camera will show the window in the, the Bates mansion where you see the, the, yes. the outline or the profile of the mother. And um, you really have to think about that. And especially you have to think about it afterwards because once you know the reality that Norman and the mother are one and the same, then you kind of go back in your mind and you think to yourself, well, wait, what did I really see in that scene? Um, so there, there's a lot more effort required of the viewer in a movie like this than there yes, are in movies from today. you definitely have to pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. And the dialogue is not as easy, right? The dialogue is, I mean, it's, it's 60 years ago. It's not like they speak that differently, and yet they did. The, the writing was not as easy, I think. Straightforward. Not as straightforward as it is like today. Yes. Um, there was also a scene... Um, where um, Sam is writing a letter to Marion, and they don't give you anything. They don't, you know, normally like in a movie today, when someone's writing a letter, there's a narrative where the yes. narrator will tell you what he's writing, and they didn't give you that. You had to actually read what he was writing, and if you didn't, well, you missed it. Uh, and that's a classic Hitchcock thing. So, um, yeah, a lot more effort required of the viewer. And yet, I could tell watching you early in the film, it didn't grab you, but... By the time she got to the Bates Motel, you were definitely in, involved in this film. Yes, I was a lot more intrigued, to yeah. say the least. And what were the things that sort of played into your growing sense of uh, fear? Is probably the wrong word, but what was, was that? You know, your growing sense of trepidation and suspense. Well, it, exactly. It was extremely suspenseful because in the back of my head, I just kept reminding myself. I was like, okay. This is a horror movie. It's not just going to be a theft of an, a large amount of money. She's going to reach her boyfriend and then they're going to figure it out. That's not what's going to happen. Something is going to happen at this hotel. I don't know what it's going to be. And once she started having her conversation with Norman, I started being a little bit more skeptical of, well, this is interesting. But it was a complete plot twist at the end. And that just really confused me a little bit when the when the psychiatric person had to come out and explain exactly what was happening. You really had to pay attention because then you went through all of the scenes involving Norman in your mind and you were like, well, that makes so much more sense now. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, um, not a fear-invoking movie the way you would think of a lot of movies from today, but I think really an important movie when it comes to filmmaking. And I want to spend some time just talking about some of the things that were so important that I, I, I'm not sure that most teenagers would really appreciate. Um, what did you think about the use of black and white? I mean, 1960, films were being made in color for, you know, 10 years, 10 to 15 years at that point. So Actually, the first the first scene of the movie, I was like, okay, so it's in black and white, but this was made in, like, 1960s, so... I'm sure there was use of color, and so I actually I actually marked down. Okay, look up when the first movie in color was made, and then look up possibly why this was made in black and white. And so I actually found two different responses. One was that it was made in black and white to just protect the viewer a little bit from all the goriness, considering it was in the 1960s, um, because 
most movies by then were not very gory. And so they used that to, to kind of protect the viewer. And I also read up on the fact that apparently they used it to save on time for the project. So I don't think they actually meant to enhance the emotion of the scenes by using black and white, although it did that for me. Yeah, and I, I, you've hit on a couple of things that are important. Uh, there's no question, this film was very hard for Hitchcock to make. The subject matter was difficult. Uh, Paramount did not want Hitchcock to make this movie. Um, they were they were fearful, quite frankly, uh, of the uh, controversy that it would engender to take this subject matter and put it on film. Um, Hitchcock, in the end, had to finance the film by himself, and risked quite a bit on this movie. And uh, Janet Lee and Anthony Hopkins, who both star in the film and who are major stars at that time, uh, took significant pay cuts to be in the movie because they trusted Hitchcock. And what Hitchcock got in return was he got 60% of the receipts, which at that time was unheard of. But Paramount said, okay, fine, we'll distribute the film for you, but you're going to finance it, and then we'll give you 60% of the gate. And in the end, it ended up being an enormous box office success, which paid him back significantly over what his investment was. But you're right about the black and white being cheaper to produce, but Hitchcock was a master with black and white. And when you watch this movie, black and white enhances it, I think, dramatically. The use of yes, shadows, it's, I mean... It's, it makes it a lot more mysterious. Yeah, and black and white works with shadows so much better than does color, and the shadows are used to such great effects so many times. I mean, think about the shower scene in color. It just doesn't work nearly as well, I yes, think. I would agree with that. Yeah, and it also allowed him to do things, like you said, you're right about the gore part. I mean, the shower scene was much more graphic and much gorier than anything that had ever been shown before. But to do that, he had to be careful to people's sensibilities. Yes. And you know, to show blood on a white bathtub would have been uh, really difficult. And so instead, they used chocolate sauce. Yes. Because chocolate sauce, you know, it had the, consist the right consistency, and in black and white... It, 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 it had a similar color exactly. in black and white. Right. So they were able to do that, and, they were, and it took seven days to shoot that scene. Seven days for Janet Lee to be standing in that shower and to have to, to do because there were 70 shots in that oh scene. My goodness. So, uh, you know, you watch it and it, it goes by very, very quickly, the yeah. scene. But if you count the shots, there are 70 different camera angles over the course of that scene, and it took them seven days to shoot it. Wow. That's and amazing. Janet Lee, when she watched the movie, she said that after that scene, she never took showers again. Oh. that's how, how much of an impact it had on her. So, I mean, just to give you a sense, I mean, I know that, you know, when we watched it together, I could tell it did have an impact on you. Not like a, I'm scared out of my mind impact, but it really, it was a very impactful scene because of how artfully it's done. And yes, as we've said already, it's like iconic in so many ways and it's been redone in so many ways yes. and, and used in so many ways. But the original has a power to it that I think will never be reproduced. Replicated. Yeah. And it was very interesting how he never actually showed the knife hitting her body. Right. That's right. It, it just, it never came close. It came close, but yeah. it never actually hit her body, which was very interesting to me. He used the sound of the knife plunging into yes. a cassava melon, mm -hmm. which sounded like flesh. Uh, he used her screams. And of course, 
the sound of those screeching violins and cellos. Yes. Uh, which, uh, interestingly enough, uh, the um, the music, um, the, the orca- orchestral uh, music writer for the movie brought that score to Hitchcock, who at first said, no, no, I, I don't actually want music for the shower scene. But when he actually showed it to him and he he put the music with what the scene was going to be. Hitchcock was so impressed, he doubled his salary right there on the spot. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so just to give you an idea of some of the things, you know, we've talked a little bit about how groundbreaking this film was. And I know for you as a teenager, it's really hard to understand some of the things in this film that at the time in 1960 caused such a stir. Think about that opening scene where Marion is with Sam in the hotel. Yes. Never been seen before. That was the first time you saw an unmarried couple in a hotel together and neither of them was wearing a shirt. Wow. To that point that had never been seen before and it was scandalous. Absolutely scandalous. Scandalous. Oh, absolutely scandalous. Wow, the, the, such a dramatic took, change from fact, now. Oh, yeah. In fact, there were censors in some countries like New Zealand that did not want that scene shown and they wanted the movie to start further along so that that scene wouldn't be included. Um, The shower scene, as we've alluded, um, so, I mean, the shower scene, besides its violence, just the fact that Janet Leigh was naked in a shower. Yeah. I mean, that was just not, that was not something you saw. It was, of course, the first slasher flick. Mm. Um, But, you know, this movie really um, opened the gates for a lot more violent films have followed. Um, It also was uh, an interesting movie in that its biggest star was murdered 25 minutes into the film. Yes, I read that. I I read that it was extremely surprising and kind of strange for a lot of viewers to realize that this um, beautiful woman who was supposed to be the star of the film was just murdered at the very beginning. Yeah. And and the way her character is murdered is also very interesting because think of the timing of when uh, Marion is murdered. She has just confessed to Norman that she did wrong. She stole this money. And that she wants to change She and wants return. to change and she wants to give it back and she wants to go back and make amends. And she's taking a shower as if to cleanse herself of sin, as if to cleanse herself of the, doing, of the wrongdoing. And you think about horror movies today and how much how much time they spend establishing the fact that the characters are morally bankrupt so that when they get killed, you almost feel like, ah, they deserved it. Yes. Right. And so many slasher flicks, you know, the kids are drinking, you know, they're illegally drinking or they're illegally doing drugs or they're cheating on each other or they're doing all of these things. And so as a result of that, when they get killed, it's almost like, well, they got what they deserved. And here's Janet Lee's character, Marion, who really deserved a second chance, and she gets murdered before she even receives that. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then the final scene in the movie, um, where Norman is sitting in the jail cell, mm-hmm. and he is um, now taken on the full persona of mother, and thinking as mother, um, there is a very striking moment when uh, a fly lands on his hand. Let's, let's have a listen to that clip. They're probably watching me. Well, let them. Let them see what kind of a person I am. I'm not even going to swat that fly. I hope they are watching. They'll see. 
They'll see and they'll know and they'll say, why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. And it, it always sort of struck me just before Norman looks into the camera with that look of sheer sinister, oh, evil and absolute madness, right? Yes. I mean, I, I mean, wow. Um, but you know, what what do flies get attracted to? Uh, garbage, dead flesh, dead things. Oh, okay. Norman's dead. And the fly is landing on him. Oh my gosh, that's so symbolic. I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah. Hitchcock was um, a master, a, a genius. And, and that's why when you watch older films like this, when I say that it requires some thought and some attention on the behalf of the viewer, wow. that's what I'm referring to. That's incredibly symbolic. My mm. mind is just blown all of a sudden. See, I exist. this podcast exists for that reason only. Yes. We've succeeded in our first episode. <laughs> I'm very excited. Well, that's uh, really all I have to say about Psycho. What else did you find in your reading and that made you uh, appreciate the film even more? So I really focused on researching on the root of the story and I learned that it was actually based on a book um, and that Norman Bates' character was actually inspired by a real serial killer. That's right. Named Ed uh, Jean Gain. I I, I can't pronounce his last name well. Um, But it was very interesting because they both held shrines for their mothers. They both dressed in women's clothing at times and they both ended up in psychiatric institutions. And... That was very interesting to me. I thought I I was very impressed at the fact that they had inspired it off of a real serial killer. Yeah. yeah. And um um And the the movie is very faithful to the book. Apparently, I have yes. not read the book, but I've heard the movie is very faithful. A couple of things are different. Yes, they actually they actually changed some of the violence. They trimmed it a bit because actually Marion was supposed to be beheaded in that shower right. scene, and that would have been probably even that would have <laughs> as, been as groundbreaking as this movie was. That would have been definitely too far. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sam, that's the end of our first uh, episode. How are you feeling? Uh, great. I'm really glad we did this. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we are um, going to move ahead with our second film, and that one is going to be The Exorcist. And another classic. This one from uh, late '60s, early '70s. I'll have to look. I can't remember exactly when that one came I'm not out. One hundred percent sure. Yeah. Uh, a definite um, step up in terms of scariness, um, mm-hmm. but again, it's not gonna. You know hold a candle to the kinds of things that you expect to see in movies today, but uh, one that I, I'm pretty sure you're going to enjoy and uh, one that uh, definitely will hold up well next to Psycho in terms of its uh, place in film history as a real classic in the horror genre. Okay. Well, I'm until to watch it. All right. Until next time, I'm dead. And I'm Slaughter. And together we're Dead and Slaughter, and this has been the Dad and Daughter Horror Show. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.